Today's podcast is presented to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you'll get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That's again, podgo, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add the Social Work Rants podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of your application. Disclaimer, this podcast is not to be a substitute for individual therapy. If you need assistance, call 911 if you're in the U.S. or any emergency phone number. If you need help, if you feel depressed, anxious, reach out to someone. This podcast is for educational or entertainment purposes only. Thank you. Social workers, mental health professionals, and change agents. Welcome to another episode of the Social Work Rants Podcast. I'm your host, Bash Moreno. Hope everybody's doing well, wherever and however you're listening to this podcast. Um, uh, thank you, everybody, for that has been listening to the podcast, that's been reaching out. Uh, words of encouragement. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, rate the podcast, uh, leave a comment. Um, you can follow the podcast or listen to it on all audio platforms. Don't matter if you got an iPhone, if you're listening you know, online or wherever, however you're listening to the podcast. You know, I really appreciate everybody's support. You, know, you can follow the page, the podcast on Instagram at the social work Rants podcast that's all one word you can follow the podcast on twitter and that's a social at social work rants on twitter um in our ebook i'm working on a spoken word poetry ebook and also um, eventually be starting a virtual zumba classes i'm hoping to do it uh, late fall I mean, not late for late spring. Um, hopefully, uh, toward toward the end of spring. Um, so looking to get back into that because Lord knows I, I need to lose a uh, a couple pounds, and I'm not trying to go to the gym yet. Not comfortable going to to the actual gym, though I miss it. Uh, so, and you can follow my business page at Bass City Entertainment LLC. That's all one word on Instagram. And you can go to bashmoreno.com. There's uh, my website. Uh, so slowly uh, trying to get this side uh, hustle popping. So uh, before I get into this episode, I definitely want to address the crazy uh, 
shooting, another shooting of, of uh, unarmed young uh, man of color by a police officer in uh, Minnesota. Uh, for those who are, are not in the U.S. that listen to the podcast, I don't know if uh, that news has reached out to other parts of the world, but unfortunately uh, this week was another uh, shooting of a by a police officer of an un- unarmed young uh, uh, man of color um, and what made it worse was that the veteran of the police force uh, was a field officer and mistakenly uh, her gun for a taser I don't know how you do that um, and and she was charged uh, with manslaughter. So hopefully, um, you know, justice will prevail, and she'll be doing jail jail time, and not only jail time, she will lose her her pension. Cause that's really what, um, you know, kicks uh, police officers in the ass is when they lose their pensions. Um, so I need this. I need all police officers of color to start condemning when this bullshit continues to happen to unarmed black and brown individuals. Like, as enough is enough. I know plenty of police officers of color. Um, I know you want to hide behind your shield and protect your jobs and get your pension and, you know, be good, you know, have that financial security uh, for you and your family but you know we need to come out and condemn this there needs to be more uh, social media posts um, within police rank and file up and down throughout the country Uh, police unions you know condemning these uh, acts of violence against black and brown individuals and it needs to happen Uh, I mean will this solve and and reduce these incidences probably not because especially with all these guns uh, on the street Um, but like there needs to be more training like I don't have the answers Um, defunding the police is not an answer Um, we need the police in in these streets Um, but you know could that be a reallocation of funds from the police departments to fund other things like housing and um, you know, youth centers for, for kids to do something, you know, especially during the, during the summer, um, more funding for anything else that, that's needed in, in these communities. Yeah, there could be reallocation of funds, but total um, abolishment of police, um, you know, I don't see that happening. Uh, I don't think that's uh, not the right answer either. But we we need these police officers, men and women of color, to really come come out. Please, police 
unions um, you know, coming out and con condemning these acts of violence. You know, it's enough is enough. Um, and Lord, help the United States of America if the asshole of the police of a police officer that killed George Floyd, if he gets off, um, there should even be a trial. He should be, you know, in jail for the rest of his life. We all saw the video, uh, you know, nine minutes um, having a, a, a knee on Mr. Floyd's neck. Like that, that's, you know, there, there doesn't need a trial for that. We all saw it. It was caught on tape. Um, the other officers that didn't do anything to stop it. So, and you wonder why black and brown individuals are, you know, don't trust the police. Um, the community policing is, n is not necessarily working. Um, you know, you can't have community policing if the community don't trust the police in the first place. And there's uh, plenty, plenty of good police officers doing amazing work in the communities that they serve, um, you know, up and down from rookie cops all, all the way to the lieutenants really out there busting their ass every day, really caring for their communities. So there are uh, amazing police officers out there, um, again, serving their communities. But I'm asking for the quote unquote good cops that you know the media like to portray the quote unquote good cops so that's why I used coined that term and for them to step up um, you know your silence is deafening is deafening and it's part of the problem as well and you guys really need to speak up regarding this and you know is enough is enough um, you know regarding this and again, Lord help us if uh, this police officer in Minnesota with this George Floyd case, if he gets off, because it's, it's not going to be a pretty sight here in the U.S. Um, uh, going to the episode for today, I recently had the pleasure of talking to Eric Cusson. He's the uh, founder of a global mm, global health global mental health alliance uh, a nonprofit agency that he founded um, being an advocate of mental health and having the support of athletes from all over the world and I had the pleasure of talk of speaking with of you know, gold medalist, Stanley Cup champion uh, from the Calgary Frames, Flames, uh, Theo Fleury. Um, also played uh, about three years with the New York Rangers. So as a casual hockey fan, I was definitely uh, excited to speak to Mr. Fleury also. So both gentlemen uh, talk about you know their past traumas and ways that they're currently coping with it 
and it's not with medication. Um, you know, they go into detail on what they they use. Well, they tell their stories of trauma um, bravely enough, sharing their stories in ways that they are coping and have coped with their with their trauma and discuss different ways of, of healing. Um, that doesn't involve you know medications or uh, you know seeing uh, a psychiatrist uh, to prescribe medications. So a real interesting topic. Um, you know we definitely, especially in this era of COVID, more and more um, advocates. So I would love uh, feedback from mental health professionals uh, to hear their story and tell me what you think of it. And you know, after this message from Anchor is my conversation uh, with Eric Husson uh, and Stanley Cup champion Theo Fleury. Thank you for listening, guys. Take care. So thank you, Eric, and, and thank you, uh, Theo Fleury, for coming on to the podcast. I, you know, it was an honor and a pleasure having you both on, on. Of course, man. You want to give us a little background on, on you know, the – I know it's social worker focus, but anything else you want us yeah. to know? Well, yeah, it's a um, – no, I, I try to use my podcast as a way, you know, due to – especially due to COVID, you no. Know, uh, we can't really like meet in person uh, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm try to meet other social workers in the field. You know, we do so many different things and talk about mental health and how uh, things, you know, re- how they're handling COVID and things, you know, they're, they're seeing in the field that doesn't get talked about enough and you know, all this, you know, police brutality and racism been going on and, you know, especially here in America, the last four years of, of Trump has really taken a toll, or, or even before Trump, as just the profession has taken a toll, like on us, like day in, day out stuff that we see and we hear and what we have to deal with uh, within the you know, systems of, of mental health and, and social work, and, you know, just using, you know, my platform to, uh, you know, promote others, uh, other mental health professionals in the field and just talk about my own experiences in social work and I started the podcast in January of, of 2020 just something I wanted to do something to get off my chest and it kind of like you know, COVID kind of helped you know kind of sp- speed things you know forward a little bit you know using my platform to provide you know, resources for uh, social workers and mental health professionals for what they need for their clients and then just you know using other platforms and meeting different people such as yourselves and reaching out you know LinkedIn and you know, DMing people and you know, like, hey, you'd like to get on the podcast. I see you guys talk about my mental health and you know, the importance of that uh, or addiction, substance abuse, you know, you know the, the U.S. Uh, with, with their stimulus series of stimulus packages and how to best navigate uh, saving money, investing it, learning about investing, you know, that you know, stuff like that doesn't get talked about in social work at all and mm-hmm. you no know, you know, financial freedom you know different things of, of that nature so I've, you know, I've had an educate a finance educator best selling author talk about finance you know, I've had um, uh, you know addiction advocates come on the podcast talk about substance substance abuse and uh, 
and talked about how that was like the original pan pandemic, at least in, in the U.S. And now we, you know, on top of that, their struggles of helping people, uh, you know, in the, in our now COVID era. So just try to expand our horizons of, of different things and kind of relate it of for my, my listeners predominantly are uh, mental health professionals and, and social workers in the field. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Thanks for the background, man. That's, that's helpful. No, no, of course. So, uh, so uh, just if you could uh, tell the listeners you now, you know, who you guys are, how you guys you know, connected in terms of uh, your advocacy in, in mental health. Yeah, Theo, you want to start or you want me to start? You go ahead. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, by the way, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. So, is, is it Basilso? Basiliso? Basiliso. Basiliso. Okay. Sorry, man. Yeah, everybody calls me Bass for sure. All right, so I'll just so, call you okay. Bass. So, Bass. So, yeah. So, um, you know, Theo and I came in it uh, from different angles, uh, different career backgrounds, mine being in professional sports on the – executive management side, him being in professional sports uh, on the player side of things, but both with lived experiences uh, where we had been through traumatic events as children that ultimately after a certain amount of time and, and, you know, Theo, like I, I didn't even think about this um, until now because, because <laughs> I'm, I'm talking for both of us, but my, my crash happening at 35 how old were you, Theo, when when the incident in um in uh, in uh, New Mexico happened? You were thirty one. Well, no, maybe uh, I was around. Yeah, I think I was like thirty thirty six. Right. I mean, 36. it's six. Yeah. So how 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 interesting is that? Like, so you know, Bass, like the the we can get deeper into our story, but mine was very much trauma based. That happened to me from the time I was eight years old till 23 with an older brother uh, being sick with every possible ailment that you could think of. And, uh, you know, then losing three close friends at the age of 22, 23. And then my mental health crash, so to speak, didn't happen until I was 35. And then you get Theo in his case, who he'll go into the story a little bit more, but, you know, deals with um, abuse at the hands of a, of a youth coach, um, some challenges at mm. home with 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 his parents and and um, alcohol and 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 things related to religion and stuff like that. And so, you know, happens to him. And and I think the interesting kind of parallel is that my nose was to the ground, working my butt off in the office, loving what I did every day, and it was my escape. But it was also in it being my escape. It it made me feel like I didn't need to work on anything. And then in Theo's case, his right. nose to the ground and playing professional sports around the same ages, you know, we just figured out and nose to the ground and, and, and working his butt off and being the best performer he could be. And then we both end up at this place where, you know, Theo kind of says it well, he says, you know, learning to live life on life's terms because we were living them on our terms. We were living them on this is this is this is our career. This is our path this is what we love doing. You know, what could be bad here? And then when that gets taken away or other things start to fail us in terms of our cognitive abilities and functioning, um, you know, you 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 kind of get on your knees and you have to learn how to heal, learn how to grow, learn how to, you know, correct the way that maybe your brain and your mind has see, seen things for so long and then find a path forward towards healing. 
Yeah, absolutely. You you definitely struck a a chord with me. Like I definitely spent you know some time um, in my social work career. Like like work somehow ended up being my my escape, and you know just helping you know, vulnerable you know, vulnerable populations and stuff like that. Just had like other life stuff happening uh, from from my end that just kind of like focused all in on the work and then whatever happens <laughs> happens so that that definitely hit home yeah, for yeah, me. yeah i mean i you know look i i think that any of us who love what we do every day or even those of us who don't love what we do i mean you know theo and i have joked around about what the average person looks like in new york city taking the train back to westchester long island new jersey and you know their head is falling over the seat and they're snoring and you know, it's only five o'clock, six o'clock at night, but they're just beaten up from the day. And it's like rinse, wash, repeat, do it the next day. So it's like we lose ourselves in our work and we do them and, and we go through the motions and then we don't have any energy left to like enjoy life and the and the people around us. And, you know, that unfortunately then leads towards, you know, I think us getting to worse and worse places over time where, um, you know, the 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 outcomes, unfortunately, again, as evidence of where I ended up, where Theo ended up after a bit, you know, end up being a pretty ugly. Um, so it's it's nipping things in the bud sooner and, and not using our work, not using our passion as an escape. Yes, enjoying what we do, but not using it as a way to say, well, because I enjoy it and I get that dopamine hit every day from enjoying it, it um, it, it, it takes the place of doing things like yoga, meditation, mindfulness, breathing practices, et cetera. Right, I, I, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I went on went on your website and you know, seeing like all, all your your losses, you know, back to back, and like how like how did like how, when it first happened, like how did you deal with that, and how you know you overcome that? You know, so many people you know currently within the past year. At, losing you know, loved ones you know due to covid like how can you know everybody's different like how like how i know for myself losing losing a loved one and then losing like uh numerous uh clients you know due to due to covid working you know a year ago in, in mm -hmm. new york city so uh, how how like how you someone can like or at least for yourself overcome those losses well i think the first step in it right is noticing that the losses are even taking place and that they're impacting us. Right. And, and, you know, you mentioned, for example, you know, your own losses and the clients that you had, and obviously, you know, you, you'd be blind if you didn't notice those things, but, you know, take other scenarios in life where it's not a loss of a life. And, you know, I think we justify things that happen to us as, well, that's life. Life is hard. Things happen to us. And there's some truth to that, that, um, you know, difficult things happen over time, but understanding that there's this cumulative nature of the things that happen to us and build up over in us over time. Right. So probably the best analogy I can make is the same way that plaque builds in our arteries. If we're eating foods that aren't good for us or we're living a sedentary lifestyle, that plaque is building up in a silent way inside of us. We don't want to wait until we have symptoms of heart attack or stroke or have a heart attack or stroke to actually go to the doctor and get help for it. We want to be proactive. So, you know, looking back on myself and then Theo jump in if you want is, is, you know, 
I wish at the time that I was going through everything, I was educated in knowing how these things were even impacting me. Um, because, you know, Bass, like your example of losing those clients, your explanation in your head, now you're a social worker, so you understand this better than most, but even even to the point of where people lose people, I think there's this, there's this you know, almost like indestructible piece of our mind that says, well, I lost someone they died that happened to them it hurts but i now need to move on and not realizing how much of kind of another analogy is we're a jenga puzzle and we're taking little pieces out of the bottom of that jenga puzzle and the and the base of that jenga puzzle is getting you know more and more wobbly it's every time one of those events happens in our life more and more of those pieces are getting taken out um so hopefully that background is helpful is like i don't you know it's a, a you know, not as detailed of an answer. We could certainly get into the healing things and maybe Theo will chime in there with the modalities and the different things that we've tried. But at least as it pertains to noticing that things are even impacting us, I think Theo and I are on this mission to educate as many people in the world as we can about you don't need this label. You don't need to be told you have depression or anxiety or PTSD to have had your mental health impacted. Um, you just need to have lived a life. <laughs> That's what most humans do. You know, we all, we all live and living comes with challenges that we can't escape. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, and what we're so, talking Sophia, about <clears throat> and uh-huh. you know, the missing piece to the puzzle is, yeah, we're all aware that the, the whole entire planet experiences, uh, mental health challenges and uh, how we or what we use as a coping mechanism for these mental health challenges is an addictive behavior as a coping mechanism and the thing that always gets left off the left out of the puzzle is trauma you know we have a systemic trauma issue on the planet it's unresolved trauma right and covid is the most traumatic thing that's happened since World War II. So, you know, the whole entire world has experienced trauma. Now we've added another layer of trauma. So now we've seen a spike in mental health. We've seen a spike in suicide, suicidal ideation, all those things. And so it's the unresolved trauma, which is never talked about, never talked about as the catalyst because when we're traumatized, our nervous system gets completely thrown out of whack, which means our brain chemistry, our body chemistry, all that stuff gets thrown out of whack. And if we don't do something uh, proactive, which is you know healing modalities, therapeutic modalities, dealing with grief, dealing with loss, if we just leave those unresolved, then we are going to have you know, challenges for the rest of our life until we actually sit down and first of all, voice what the trauma was, what happened, and then, you know, get into, you know, the 10,000 different therapeutic modalities that are out there. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of, you know, um, holistic practice, you know, as a way of overcoming and uh, recalibrating the nervous system through breathing techni- techniques, yoga, 
sound therapy, EMDR therapy, like there's, there's thousands of different ways to, to heal. But until uh, we're, we, we get into a space where more and more social workers, doctors, you know, frontline people who are dealing with people who have mental health challenges, until we create a safe environment for people to talk about our traumatic experiences, this thing is never going to end. It's, it's just going to continue and it's going to get exponentially worse until we actually acknowledge that trauma is the catalyst in, in, in what we're dealing with. And people best people with what Theo just said, people will poke holes in it and say, well, there's trauma informed now. And we're looking at ACE scores and adverse childhood experiences. So how can you say that people aren't talking about trauma? There's two pieces. I want to back up what Theo is saying there. The first is, we can talk mm-hmm. about those things until we're blue in the face when the media and when celebrities lead with their disorder labels and their erratic behaviors, we could, we could try and educate people all we want. We get our news in this world through our media and our social media. That's how we find out about things. And right. and the, and the news is so fragmented right now that you're following your favorite celebrity and they say, I have bipolar and because of it, I, I'm going to put out the best album ever next year. Like that doesn't help move the conversation forward. That doesn't help people get a better understanding of how those people got to that place and what's, you know, common and consistent about it. And even if you take the other side of it, so let's take celebrity and media out of it and you take the educational piece portion of it. I think the way that we look at things like ACE scores and stuff like that is so restrictive. Like, I'll give you a a case in point example. Okay, in ACE, they'll tell you if you were abused as a young child, that that goes on your ACE score. Fine. Well, what if, you know, Theo had a brother, a twin brother, and the two of them are walking down the street at, you know, uh, let's call 15 years old, and one makes a right, one makes a left. And then on the street that Theo goes down, a car just jumps on the curb by losing control, doesn't hit anything, doesn't crash into the pole, doesn't even crash into Theo. But Theo now saw that car jump onto the curb. And now every time Theo is walking down the block, always worried about is a car going to jump off of the road and onto the curb and have a chance of hitting me. Meanwhile, his brother who's going down the other street never saw that car happening. That idea never jumps into his head. That's trauma. And yet it, because it doesn't fit in this nice box that we like to put everything in, we don't call it trauma, and then we don't have people who are willing to open up and share that vulnerably and how common that is to be able to feel and think those things. And then people think they're the only ones in the world who feel that way, and then those isolation feeling, feelings build up over time, and then we have the negative outcomes that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, like not only just like celebrities, because uh, I, I feel like a lot of celebrities, they just... No, any type of publicity is no is no like bad publicity. They just want the attention, especially you know social media kind of exacerbates that more. And it's like, just look at me, look what I'm doing. Uh, but also like it's even with somebody like you know somebody goes on a rampage and, and kills a bunch of people or kills their spouse or girlfriend, whatever. And they just want to throw out, oh, this person had a. a, a, a mental health breakdown or, or use that as an excuse where you just, just intentionally killing 
people as well. So like it, that that kind of like doesn't help the you know, the conversation either. Just you well, know, media pub- publicity being, you know, is one publicity is one thing, but I think one of the elephants in the room though, and Theo can speak to this because he's done it the right way, is there are celebrities at different points in their careers, some of them at the end of their careers if they're in sports, some of them if they're an actor and they're not getting parts. It's not only the publicity, it's a gig for them. So the second they come out and they raise their hand and they say, I have anxiety or I am bipolar instead of I have bipolar, it's like, oh, great, will you come and speak at our upcoming event? And, it, it, you know, the dangerous piece of that is because we're talking about public health, um, if we're not talking about it the right way, there's the possibility that we're actually going to move the conversation backwards instead of forwards. Yeah, I, I, I totally uh, you know, see that as well. Um, now, Theo, if you could uh, give us uh, some background into, you know, your story, you know, your no, no. Whatever you're willing to to share you know, regarding you know, your trauma and, and how and, you know you mentioned earlier how you, uh, you know be dealing with with all the mm-hmm. holistic things that, that you're doing, but you could <clears throat> share share you yeah. know, some of the things that, well, that you want to you know, talk I about. I had a couple significant traumatic events that happened early on in my childhood, you know, and then obviously you know those experiences. Um, you know, both my parents had addiction issues, so I grew up in chaos and violence and, you know, just complete insanity 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then I was, uh, you know, I was raped 150 times by my coach. And, you know, obviously that left me in, you know, um, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of anger, a lot of resentments. And, you know, wasn't too long after that I discovered alcohol and drugs as a coping mechanism to suppress, uh, you know, what, you know, the aftermath of, of those two experiences. And so, um, you know, but I went on to have a very successful professional life and, uh, but at the end of that professional, uh, career, you know, I got kicked out of the NHL cause it couldn't stop drinking, couldn't stop using drugs. And, you know, uh, it was disguised as uh, an addiction issue, but ultimately it was, you know, the fact that I could no longer manage my, you know, my mental health. And, and, uh, Mm. you know, I, I, I very much dislike the word addiction because it has a lot of shame attached to it. It's very socially acceptable to get, you know, to go to your local bar and, you know, get wasted and throw up and shit in your pants and do all that stuff, you know, like that's acceptable, right? It's just somebody who's having a really good time, but I don't see it like that. I see somebody who's in a tremendous amount of pain and suffering and, and, uh, you know, is using, you know, alcohol and drugs and womanizing and all those things as a coping mechanism to suppress, um, you know, their own traumatic experience that they, you know, haven't acknowledged or, or don't even know that they have it, whatever it is. And so, you know, I wrote a book in 2009 about my life and what it did is it put me in this space that I've been in for the last, uh, 
almost 13 years and I'm an advocate and an activist, you know, uh, in the space of trauma, mental health and addiction. And, uh, you know, I've, I've written two books, uh, I've done over 800, uh, speeches. Um, you know, I run groups, uh, I do workshops, you know, all based around trauma and helping people, uh, come to grips with their trauma. And then, you know, uh, motivating them to, you know, to get into uh, a place of healing. And, uh, you know, I have done a lot of healing in uh, the Indigenous uh, spirituality world um, up here in Canada. And, uh, you know, I participate in ceremony and and, uh, do sweat lodges and uh, attend uh, spiritual ceremonies in, in that space. And, you know, I would say that it has been one of the most uh, productive and most healing uh, places where I've found the most healing is is in that uh, in that space. No, that's that's great. So so for for both of you, where, where was when was your like aha moment that you know your childhood traumas and stuff that you guys uh, experienced like. Hey, this is trauma. This this is what is like started. What led to like mm-hmm. A goes into B. Like like you know, the trauma that you facing is leading to the behavior or, or whatever well, you guys were I think experiencing. Probably a big reason why Theo and I are on the path that we're on together is because so much happened in our lives before we realized that because no one tells us those freaking things, <laughs> um, and and that's not. Mm-hmm. A, a, a way for us to pass blame like Theo and I are competitive MFers you know being as clean with the language as, as we can you know I was searching for answers on Google and going to every doctor I possibly could Theo was feeling like shit but but searching and reaching for every bottle or stripper or gambling table or whatever he could to feel better because no one tells us that there's things out there to get better. And I can tell you, even going down the professional route, you know, my story was two and a half years of dysfunction of being given every psychotropic drug combination on the list and none of them working for me. And then TMS therapy and that actually exacerbating the situation and then shock therapy and that not getting me any better. And then ultimately what put the the dots together for me was sitting in front of someone who I told my story to who had the wherewithal instead of taking me down a path of freudian talk therapy and saying eric tell me about your relationship with your parents right instead of like going down that path it was like eric tell me about your life you know just Mm -hmm. very open and i when when it's done well with 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 a guide or a therapist or whatever anyone wants to call that person that helps you in your life it shouldn't feel like an interrogation it shouldn't feel like you're being backed into a corner it should feel like you're being given this opportunity to just talk about whatever you want to talk about. And not that you're going to do that for the rest of your life, but at least as a get to know you moment. And so when I was asked what's gone on in my life um, by, by an integrative psychologist this is who I met. And I was fortunate enough to, to be put in touch with her is I thought she was just asking me about myself just so she could get to know me. I didn't realize that however I was going to answer that question was ultimately going to be the pieces that were going to help her put together this puzzle for me 
to better understand what I'd been through. So when I shared all these things I'd been through with my brother, with all these chemo treatments and cancer multiple times and septic shock and kidney transplant and comas and all these things, um, she, uh, you know, she, she, she asked me, Eric, is there anything else that happened to you in your childhood that impacted your mental health? And I kind of like, I, I burst out at her and I said, what do you mean impacted my mental health? These things didn't impact me. They happened to my brother. They happened to my friends. They didn't happen to me. So even as I'm telling my story at the time, I still don't realize what the hell she's talking about. And it, you know, the analogy that she gave me that I use a lot mm -hmm. when I present now is if if you know in the sport of basketball if you have a front row seat and you've got these seven foot athletes that are running up and down the court at full speed and the sweat the sweat is, is dripping off them and it's hitting your shirt or your suit if you're you're there working at the game well the, your suit's getting dirty or they die for a loose ball and your and your suit's getting dirty you go home after that three hour game and you put your suit away you get it ready for the dry cleaners you take a shower and then you get ready with a new suit, a clean suit, and you go into work the next day. That's not what happens in the game of life. And so the analogy that she made there was you still have a front row seat, but the game of life is represented by this muddy wrestling match that's taking place in front of you instead of a basketball game. And the muddy wrestling match is your brother trying to wrestle that game of life to the mat to stay alive. And every time he takes it to the mat, the mud splatters and hits you. And every time your friends who are trying to stay alive from what they've been through, the mud splatters and it hits you. And the biggest difference between this game that you're sitting courtside for versus the basketball game is not only do you not get up after three hours, you don't ever get up because you don't know to get up. And then back to that burying our heads in what we love doing. Well, no matter how heavy the mud is getting, Theo's performing at a high level on the ice. No one thinks anything of it. Eric's performing at a high level in the boardroom. No one's thinking anything of it. And in fact, even for ourselves, we probably didn't notice the weight of those things because we're, we're we're not performing at 100% of ourselves by any means. We're probably only performing, I'm just throwing a number out there, 85% of ourselves. But when you're gifted in a way, in a fortunate way, I don't mean that in a heady mm -hmm. way, where you've got certain skills that enable you to perform over and above other people, what that does is that allows you to carry around that weight and to not even notice it because everyone else is saying, Theo, you're the best guy on the team. Eric, you're producing revenue numbers more than anyone else has done here before. So what are we to do other than just keep going? Well, eventually the weight gets too heavy from that mud packing on you and it takes you down. Yeah, I, I, I totally see, uh, you know, where you're coming from. And, and sometimes like you, you just don't have the, the self-awareness. Sometimes it's, you know, cult, I, I, I like to talk about culture a lot because that doesn't get talked about too and how that, affects one's mental health mental health you know you know working with clients that they think is just normal to be depressed all day and just having you know crying spells for for whatever reason and trying to you know educate and teach clients you know that's not you know, you know there's more to life than just having no crying spells what is that you like to do or what you know, you know different things you know, reach out call somebody or just kind of like educate and be more self-aware of what's out there. So, you know, you know, talking about the holistic, you know, aspect and just having culture, you know, where, where you're born and raised, how you grew up or all that kind of plays a role, like who you hang out with kind of plays a role and, and, and impacts one. So, 
mental health. Well, or and Theo can, you know, he just talked about sweat lodges that he goes into. You know, we'll come at it from different angles. He'll, he'll go after me, but like I was sent to a breathing course where I was the only man, only one under 40, and only one born in this country. So it was me and eight Indian women and nine yoga mats. 2021 with social media we shouldn't be at that place mm. where you know what is healing for people you're coming at it and you're like the only one who looks like that and and you know it, it's not more widely well known and 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 those messages aren't getting out there whereas in theo's case right theo like you're you know doing the sweat lodge that's part of your culture right like you know being yeah. indigenous to canada that's something you were you knew about, but I think what Theo and I are trying to do is normalize, not, you know, everyone talks about normalizing the mental health conversation. There's a normalization that has to take place of what the exercises are that people can do because no one should be looking at Theo and saying, well, he's indigenous. That's why sweat lodges, you know, resonate with him or, you know, like that, but that's what we do as a society. We say, well, that <laughs> makes sense that they're doing that because they're from that culture as opposed to being like, shit, I want to heal no matter what is out there and I'll do whatever it takes to heal. Let's learn these things. Right. Cause I, even some, something like, like I do, cause I'm also a licensed uh, Zumba instructor myself and I try to get uh, more of my male peers you know, involved. It's like, uh, I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. doing that because they see just a bunch of uh, women, but uh, yeah, you know how, how many, how many male instructors out there, but then you just see like, just predominantly women in class like and so I try to get more more men involved and 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 do like routines that a man or like men that that I hang out or associate with might feel more you know, comfortable with but it's something simple as that you know it kind of goes to your point just having more normalizing just doing whatever it is to, to get some exercise and clear clear your mind and and it's more than just like weightlifting there's so many you know, different things and getting more more males to do more 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 yoga and just different things and like this toxic masculinity that that's out there in, in communities mm -hmm. especially communities of color as well you know, just there's a lot of different things as you know you mentioned that you know everybody's different what might work for one might not work yeah, for and and it's, and it's a three-step healing process right there's emotional trauma physical trauma spiritual trauma and you, if if you're not working on, you know, all three of those aspects, you're going to struggle. That's just the nature of, of you know, uh, what's happened, right? And so, yeah, Zumba is great. But if you're not working on the emotional and, and the spiritual part, you're, you're, you're not going to feel well. Yeah, you're gonna, physically you're going to be great. But, you know, there's still two other aspects to... Uh, being on this planet that needs to be worked at, right? So it's a three-step healing process, spiritual, physical, and emotional, you know, healing. And it has to be a part of your daily routine where you're doing uh, one or all three of, of those things, you know, in unison, right? And, and, uh, and <clears throat> you know, Eric and I talk about this all the time. As advocates, we fight stigma, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? And, and <clears throat> you know, it's time to get rid of the stigma. Mm -hmm. It's time to acknowledge the fact that trauma is the catalyst. 
And, you know, because you just like, you don't wake up one day and say, you know, I, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be an addict or I'm going to be an alcoholic or, you know, uh, I'm going to struggle with, with mental illness. Like that just doesn't happen out of the blue. You know, there are certain factors in the environment uh, that cause us distress. And usually those are happening in relationship and uh, you know, and uh, if we deny uh, the relationship that we have with ourselves, which, you know, addiction is a good way of avoiding uh, having any sort of relationship with self, then, you know, we're going to struggle. So what I say, what I say is try everything. So try everything until so Eric, works, uh, right. There's, yeah, there's, thousands upon thousands of different yeah, yeah, absolutely. things that you can do to relieve <clears throat> your mental health struggles. And there's also all kinds of other uh, healthy, addictive behaviors, you know, that you can use. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, absolutely. Um... So Eric, I want to talk how how you started, you know, the same here global mental health uh, movement. Uh, tell what's about. Uh, how can somebody, you know, get involved with that? How you how you sure, had it's a good uh, thing Theo's on, so I can reference him because it's very movement. much based on you know some interactions I had with him and seeing the way that he was sharing his story. So when I shared my story of all things on LinkedIn, um, the reaction to that was my impetus for realizing there's something that's needed in this space because I shared my story and what came back to me, you know, Theo calls it getting run over. I got run over with people calling and emailing and what they were sharing back with me was not a disorder label, not a depression, anxiety, PTSD, but instead a lived experience story of losing of a child at a young age to divorce of parents to divorce of them, you know, with that they went through themselves and then, you know, where that brought them in terms of what Theo is talking about, how it, you know, it, it impacts our neurobiological circuits in similar ways, regardless of what the trauma is that, that affects us. And so that realization then made me go check out all the nonprofit websites that were in our country that, you know, what I saw in 2017, I sadly can say today, not because I want to be some, you know, ass who's who's pointing out bad things but just because when it hasn't changed it hasn't changed like i can't help but point out what i see and and it's that the messages continue to be hammered mm -hmm. home in the same way and those messages are one in five people are mentally ill okay well what are them we telling the other four and five people the other 80 percent we're telling them they're healthy fine normal okay there's nothing to see here don't worry about mental health we're telling people to stop stomp break and erase the stigma which sounds like a great rallying cry between three guys on a call right now who are focused in mental health every single day. But guess what? It's not a great rallying cry for the people who we want to understand mental health, which is the rest yeah. of society that doesn't pay attention to it. You start screaming out, stop, stomp, break the stigma. That means that they're receiving that message saying, oh, am I the problem? Is my friend the problem? Are we all the problem? That doesn't make them engage. That makes them to step away from the conversation. I mean, look at, you know, you mentioned politics earlier. There's a reason why we're, we're at where we're at 
with the way that social media is and, and, and how polarized we are as a country and a world, it's because you start telling people that their way of seeing things is the wrong way. They don't want to engage with you more. They want to engage with you less. Right. So, so that was problem number two. And then problem number three was the way in which celebrity yeah. stories were being shared different than Theo's was, you know, most of these celebrities weren't out there um, championing vulnerability. They were getting caught in a, crossfires of a tabloid magazine you know taking pictures of them with their head shaved in britney spears case or looking like uh dressed like hot messes in in uh in lindsey lohan's cases or looking like skeletons in charlie sheen's cases so you add these things up now of what is being shown on these websites and it's one in five people are mentally ill let's stop stigmatizing this group of people that we protect and we represent and when the nonprofits are linking to the stories that are talking about these celebrities, it's saying this is what the one in five look like. They shave their heads and run off basketball courts and, um, you know, uh, uh, can't hold their life together. You can now understand why 80 plus percent of our population doesn't think this topic applies to them. And I say 80 plus percent because I could be simplistic and say, oh, it's four out of five people. But it's more than that, because by the admission of the very people who put the one in five messages out there. They say that only 50% of the people with what would be considered a diagnosable disorder ever get help. So that means the number is really 90 plus percent of the population that has no interest in this topic that completely tunes it out. Meanwhile, could you imagine if that was the case with physical health where we said, don't worry about it, eat as much food as you want, sit on the couch, eat nachos, potato chips, live a sedentary lifestyle. And oh, by the way, if you get this thing called cancer or diabetes, come speak to us. Well, you know, fortunately that's not the majority of our society there's a lot of people in our society who are like that but it also the information is at least out there that if you do those things here's the potential outcomes of what can happen and we were not there with mental health because we've scared people into believing that this mental yeah. illness is this scary thing and that it lives in this separate category by itself so when i saw theo you know when i when i had this idea for changing the narrative in a way that brings people together and that ties people together in a collaborative way and makes everyone feel like they're on the same team. Theo's story was, was one that I, I held in high regard because you heard Theo share a story. When you asked him what he had been through, he didn't say, well, I suffer from chronic PTSD. He said, I grew up in a household that was chaotic at times, right? I, there was addiction in both of my parents. I, I, I was raped 150 times by my coach mm -hmm. when I was younger. That's vulnerability and that's detail sharing that most celebrities are not willing to get into. But those type of details are what are relatable to the average person more so than the label of CPTSD is, right? So Theo was the perfect person for me to first reach out to and call and say, this is what I want to build. And by the way, Theo, uh, the clip, I don't know if you saw it, you know, I'm, I'm speaking code here, Bass, so don't, don't, don't be upset with me, but there was a, there was a celebrity that I sent to Theo that, you know, let's just say <laughs> his public display the last couple of days wouldn't be indicative of someone that would like represent the brand well, um, in terms of what we're trying to build, which is, you know, yeah, we've all been through shit. We've all faced challenges, but you know, probably one of the guys that Theo loves that's part of this group, that I love that's part of this group, is Dwight Gooden, the former baseball player who's loved here in New York. He's so misunderstood his story, right? Like, people think got mm -hmm. too popular too quick and became too famous too fast and went to drugs and partying. 
No, uh, his <laughs> his he was carrying his five year old. Uh, no, excuse me. He was five. He was carrying his two month old baby nephew uh, who the, his the, the mother of that baby nephew was his his uh, sister. She was getting shot at in their house and he ran with the baby into the bathroom to protect the baby from the shots. Now, fortunately, his sister lived, but she's got a bullet lodged in her head for the rest of her life and she has seizures all mm-hmm. the time. And so. Dwight, in what he was doing with his drug use, was uh, escaping emotional pain and suffering. Right. So, the 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 when you ask, like, you know, how, why did we form the organization? How did we form the organization? Is because there were people out there like Theo, like Doc, like Shamika Holdsclaw, like people outside of sports as well, who could champion this idea of vulnerability about the specific details of our stories, all from different backgrounds, all from different lots in life. The, the challenge is being unique to them, though not so completely different, right? Loss happens to each of us, right? Uh, transition happens to each of us. So we're able to put those in those buckets and show the similarities and be able to say, like, that's where the name of the organization, Same Here, came in. Like, you and I, Bass, we're the same. And I can know that without knowing your personal story. And how are we the same? Because there's challenges that you face in your life and there's challenges that I've faced in my life. And I know that by virtue of the fact that you're a human being. And there's not a human being on this planet who hasn't faced challenges in their life that have impacted their mental health, right? And so that should be the common thread that ties us together. And I'll break it down in the most like mm-hmm. elementary way possible. You you remember sitting in groups when you were a little kid, right? Like, you know, whether it was the gymnastics class or whatever it was that we like, the, the things that we did when we were little kids. And they'd go around the circle and be like, what's your name? Right. And if there was another kid named Eric, you'd be like, Oh my God, your name's Eric too. And you felt like bound to that person or, you know, your, your birthday's coming up. I'm like, your birthday's August 19th also. Oh my (laughs) God. How's that possible? When you're the same with someone in something, it binds you together and it makes you feel a connection. That's very hard to describe. It just, it happens in a magical way. Well, if that's the case, why aren't we working more and more to share and point out each other's commonalities as opposed to pointing out each other's differences? Right. Yeah, I, I, I totally can relate, relate to that. Um, now, have, have you seen a difference how, how we do things here in America, compared to well, big pharma to Canada or a, Canada, anywhere where like else, or in the United States, so <laughs> you know, the same. And you know what's mm. interesting? Like, uh, you know, Theo, I'll, I'll <laughs> add this to your comment. You know, we work gotcha. with this group of integrative practitioners. Um, you know, and uh, and so they study things outside of medication. And some of them, when we brought up this idea, just some, not saying all of them, when we brought up this idea of raising the volume on integrative care, their plate is so full with the amount of people coming to see them that they're not necessarily seeing how many people are struggling without knowing the right places to come, right? And so, you know, it, it like the, the dearth of, of, great healthcare providers out there means that, you know, if, if you're, if, if you're good at what you do, you're worth your weight in gold. Right. And so, you know, Theo saying that pharma's got their handle on it. They have it not only with us who are patients, they have it with the practitioners too. And 
you know, it's in it's in the med schools. And then even, you know, as an example, for those who study oh, yeah, outside the med schools and pick up their own stuff, <laughs> their plate is full with the patients that they're seeing. Um, so it's not like they're having to like raise their hand and be like, please come, you know, c- come support my business as a doctor. I need to have more patients like they're getting run over with patients themselves. Um, so so there's people finding them. It's just I think the masses don't understand that those type of doctors exist. And it's also not how most doctors are taught in an integrative way. So you end up going down the path that I did for so long, which is pill, 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 you know, shrink my brain as much as you can by telling me what was wrong with this one particular relationship that I had and continue to pick at the scab over and over and over again. And unfortunately, what we're learning is that's not what works to help heal people. Right. Yeah, you yeah, just talking about you know the, the medical profession and like integrating stuff and, and I think that there's more of a push from what I see in you know, a multidisciplinary team and having a nurse, a, a doctor, a nurse practitioner, whatever working together with, with social workers and you know and you know you know a medical you know a medical person might miss something. Um, that they're not seeing, and, and a social worker or a mental health practitioner might might see something that's really you know the issue of what's going on, and kind of like working together and you know try to learn more. And I trying to and I see a little bit more of the nurses and, and, and you know, nurse practitioners and doctors like really like like oh okay like kind of like open their minds a, a little slowly open their minds a, a little bit into. No, there's more than just like okay, the medical or, or the psych piece, like what what you're seeing, and then try to like diagnose. And yeah, yeah. Well, look that's at why a person more holistically. You know, like I hang around with medicine men, okay, and you know, medicine men are all you know plant based, you know, basically doctors without the degree, right, and. You know, they get their guidance from, you know, the the spiritual realm. And, you know, what they tell me is that when you take something in its natural state and you turn it into a synthetic version, uh, when you put it in your body, your body doesn't know what to do with it because it's not in its natural state, right? So most medications are not in their, Mm -hmm. you know, original state, they are modified and, you know, there, there's a synthetic version. And so what the body does is it doesn't know what to do with it and it doesn't know how to get rid of it. So what happens is we get sludge built in our kidneys, in our liver, in our intestines. And what it causes is causes all these other things like cancer, diabetes, um, you know, celiac disease, all these different diseases are based on, you know, because our body cannot get rid of all the synthetic versions of food, of medicine, of all these things. And so, you know, um, and what I'm told is there is a plant-based version for every synthetic uh, drug that's out there. And so, uh, you know, being somebody who uh originally um you know got put on medication you know i didn't get better i got worse and and not only did i get worse i i got more prescriptions 
of more of this synthetic, you know, brain chemistry that they were giving me. And, you know, when I stopped taking all of the um, synthetic versions and started to focus on, you know, plant-based and uh, holistic practices and, you know, spirituality, that's when I started to make the greatest strides in my own personal mental health journey was when, you know, I, I looked at all of, you know, all of, all of my options were out there. And when I looked at all the options and realized that, you know, uh, taking a very spiritual approach to medicines, taking a spiritual pro approach to my healing was when I started to get better. And it's when I eliminated the synthetic-based uh, medical uh, side of it, you know, I, I started to make great strides. And I started to experience uh, things like peace, joy, happiness, and serenity, you know. And, um, and we need to move in the direction with which we are being pushed towards. And I believe that that's the holistic approach to, uh, you know, mental illness. And, and, you know, take, take Theo's comments about the synthetic nature of what happens to us, even before we get to the place where the synthetic, um, piece starts impacting us. Mm -hmm. Look at, you know, what pharma has on us as a society. We, we grow up and we have streptobronchitis pneumonia and we take a magic pill called an antibiotic as little kids and we feel better, whatever better means, um, after, after you know, two weeks, three weeks mm -hmm. of taking this. And that's if, right? But, but it happens with some people. You've got the, whether it's placebo effect, whether it's this burst that you get. Now, what does better mean? Well, Better when we take an, uh, an antidepressant could mean that Bass felt 65% of himself when he went into the doctor and now he's feeling 85% of himself. Wow, he feels good now. One, we're not taking into consideration why aren't we going from feeling 85 to 100, right? So, so we're only getting a certain amount of lift. But here's the bigger thing is medication is a temporary symptom management tool when it works. So eventually over time as stress and trauma builds and we don't do anything natural about it to release and rewire it out of our system that 85 that bass is feeling after going in goes down to 80 75 72 65 or it was before even below and then we go back to the doctor and we say my medication pooped out on me or i need a booster to this and we get prescribed rexulti and and uh and abilify and all these other ones and so the, the, like why do they have us fooled because we took medications when we were, we were younger that worked for us so we think medication is the panacea that's going to get us better and then if the doctors see any boost in the slightest bit of any patient initially their impression is medications work i need to keep prescribing these and they're not looking at the long term which is we're not getting to the source with these things and then and then now add theo's piece to it People are the, the medication is not working for them and the buildup of this sludge that's in their system. It's just a recipe for disaster. Gotcha. Um, so so I, I want to get into STAR, the distress trauma, um, you know, 
you know, also release some rewiring exercises that you know, and, and yeah, get in, sure. get into more of that. What, what so, does that and again, you know, Theo's been like instrumental how, in how this. So, um, Theo's got a, a practitioner named um, Kim Barthel, who he wrote his second book with, who's amazing. And 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 I remember when I when I started healing and I healed from breathing practices first. I went on this mission to kind of go around the world and you know try and find other modalities that could help heal because my thought was it can't just be one modality that helps people like breathing work for me but much like in the gym the physical gym where there's boxing kickboxing free weights universal treadmill you know elliptical cycling there's got to be multiple modalities that release and rewire this stress and trauma from our system in a way that makes us feel better and so that's when i learned qigong meditation and yin yoga and um, mindfulness practices and certain meditations and um, outside of Qigong and then something called TRE and uh, tapping and havening. And, and I remember, you know, I was putting together this board of, of individual practitioners and, you know, asking some pretty well experienced people in this space who are, would be considered experts um, what it is that, you know, uh, uh, they do, you know, that's different from one practice to the next. And they were sharing with me and I was getting them to come up on the website and make the same here sign and put their information on. But the reason I bring up Kim um, with Theo is, you know, I, I flat out said to Kim, like these practices are helping people, even if in their own unique way, they're helping people to go from a place where that those neurobiological changes that have made them feel off they're becoming normalized and, and, and we're getting more back to center to a homeostasis. So how would you describe that process of what's happening? And, and, you know, Kim said, well, it's, it's the stress and trauma that you live through. What we're trying to do is we're trying to release and rewire it out of our system. And I've got one of those wonky brains that when I see letters put together in certain ways and I try to make it easily understandable for people, it kind of just fit that, okay, the two things we're working on stress and trauma now okay i laid in a bed for two and a half years so i was anything but active i was waiting for the pill to kick into me so an important piece here we have to tell people they need to be active with these practices it's going to release and rewire right. that stress and trauma out of our system and so hence the the acronym star exercises came from that and when i said theo's been instrumental in it like where he pushed us a little bit is when we were doing um the school programs to start off schools were, you know, hiring us, so to speak, and giving a donation to have us come and tell our stories and share our philosophy on the whole five and five concept. And Theo was like, don't work with schools unless they're open to implementing star exercises, because we can tell people till we're blue in the face that this is a topic for five and five and it impacts all of us and we could change the culture all we want. And we, let's say we could wave a magic wand from those conversations and everyone feels like we're all on the same page. Well, if they don't implement tools that help people to do those very things that we're talking about, what good is it to know that you're on the same team as everyone? Yeah. There's a little comfort in that. You don't feel as isolated, but how are you ever going to get better? Right. And so if I, if I had to give an analogy that would resonate with anyone uh, uh, out there, Bassett set, Right. If we go to the gym for our physical health, we know that we're, we're usually trying to outside of the vanity play of wanting to look better. We're trying to do two things. We're trying to, you know, uh, uh, sculpt our body in a way right where we're cutting fat and, and, and putting on muscle. 
Um, and then, and then the other thing is we're trying to, from a cardiovascular perspective, get rid of this plaque that builds in our arteries. So two of the main ways to be able to describe that in a simplistic way is we're trying to shed something that's on us. Right. And I know that's not the case. I'm, I can't paint with a broad brush because there's certainly people out there that need to put weight on. So I want to be inclusive of everyone here, but for the most part, most of the people are in the gym, especially eating the American diet. You know, we're 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 trying to lose weight and we're trying to burn that that plaque from our arteries. Why should that be such a difficult concept then for people to understand stuff builds up in our central nervous system, this stress and trauma, the way that plaque fat builds in our arteries and in our bodies that we try to burn off? We should be looking at it the same way. And it's an input out, you know, whatever we put in, we get out of it is the more work we do and the more active exercise we do, mm-hmm. the more we're able to release and rewire that stuff from our system. And, and what will work for Theo, what will work for Bass, what will work for me will be different. And that's okay. Like if we give a lot of different options for people to have a gym for the brain, you might try something for three weeks and it worked for you. I might try the same thing and it doesn't and I get frustrated, but I've got another tool to try. And so what we're trying to do is give people hope by helping them understand that there's not, oh, I tried meditation. I tried calm or headspace. It didn't work for me. I don't like meditation. So I guess there's no other way to heal. So I got to go back and medicine's the only way to do it. Cool. I don't know. I find it fascinating in a, just uh, I hope uh, you know, know the word get, gets out because there's more stuff out there. I've seen a lot of stuff, you know, with uh, mindfulness and you know, stress techniques and stuff like that. So just other things, you know, besides well, that. So, so Theo sometimes last when the I see this, but you know, um, trying everybody's doing mindfulness. But some, if the some three of, of us took uh, a field trip together well. to a gym, Bass, and we were all excited to work out, we've got our gym clothes on, ready to go. The gym owner has given us access to open the the gym just for the three of us to do anything we want. And we get into this 6,000 square foot gym and we walk in and we see nothing but 12,000 treadmills, right? That's essentially what, what mindfulness is or just meditation is, is like we're talking about singular modalities and, <laughs> and that doesn't work. The human brain doesn't work that way where one particular exercise is, is the same works for everyone. And even if it does work, continues to work over time. That's just not the way the human brain and the human body works. Well, and, and, and you know, the, the mind is a powerful thing. Yeah, and you can I, I, I use totally your mind to that. heal from, you know, a lot of this stuff that we we go through, right? And we just have to get into a habit of training that piece on a daily basis because repetition creates a habit, right? And if you want to feel good, you know, your mind has the ability to change. Your brain has the ability to change and adapt and, you know, because it's neuroplasticity. So, you know, you should be, uh, you know, working on your, you know, your mind and your brain as much as you are on your physical being as well. Because, you know, what I've learned is that, you know, I can rewire my brain. I can rewire all the trauma. I can rewire all those experiences. And, and uh, you know, 
uh, with every cell phone comes the ability to seek out information. Uh, there, you know, YouTube's a great place for meditation and, and, you know, there's yoga classes on like, there's so much there that you can use as a tool, as medicine to create a different, uh, mm -hmm. reality for yourself. Yeah, uh, to totally. Um, well, Theo, uh, Theo, you want to give your personal uh, yeah, find you guys website and, is uh, reach out to you guys. And I'm on all social media platforms at TheoFlurry14. And then um, Theo's on our sites as well, you know, um, along with the other members of the alliance that he oversees. And uh, so we're at samehereglobal.org. And all of our social channel channels are at same here underscore global. Awesome. Um, thank, thank you both so much for coming on. The Thanks podcast. so much, man. I really appreciate us having us on talking to you both. But, Thanks, Bass. Uh, stay safe. Uh, best wishes to you both. Uh, just Theo, well, one, one more thing, just out of curiosity, uh, uh, describe yeah, your, your an, time here in New York with experience. the Rangers. I'm, I'm a casual uh, one of the best organizations uh, I've ever Ranger played fan. for. Um, one of the greatest fan bases, uh, you know, in the National Hockey League. And uh, as an athlete, I was not treated better by an organization uh, than the Rangers. And uh, Loved playing at Madison Square Garden. Loved wearing the red, white, and blue of the Rangers. And yeah, the, the whole experience was uh, was incredible. Living in New York was um, so much fun. There was so much to do. Uh, you know, uh, lots of other sports. You know, the Knicks, the the Yankees, the Mets. You know the the Jets, the Giants, you know, it was fun to be a part of, you know, of, of all of that. And, uh, yeah, I, I have lots of incredible memories of, uh, you know, the three years that I spent uh, in New York. You're doing Mass. great work, thank, buddy. Thank you again. Thank you both for, for coming on. It's an honor to talk to you both.